people wanted to sing along with that song and they weren't sure whether they were supposed to in church and yet Lord God Mick Jagger and Justin uh, they just spoke probably the prayer lives most of our prayer lives most of the time and that is God I'm not satisfied can't get no satisfaction and so Lord God would you help us to receive your word this morning and preach your word and be honest with you so that we might worship in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, um, you guys hear about the Super Bowl today? You gonna watch the Super Bowl? Any of you watching the Super Bowl? None of you, yeah. Uh, any of you, uh, how many people want the Indianapolis Colts to win? Like two of you. How about the New Orleans Saints? Yeah, it's church, you gotta, how many just don't care? Yeah, okay. What's that? 
Vikings, no. I, I mean, God is capable of all things. So if the Vikings win, that will really be a miracle. But uh, anyway, Super Bowl is later today, and I was reading that uh, a 30-second commercial spot at the Super Bowl uh, costs two and a half million dollars. That's how much sponsors are willing to pay. And you know, we have some budget concerns, and so now we will pause for a word from our commercial sponsors. Bud Light is brewed to give you everything you want in a beer. Never-ending refreshment, superior drinkability, and now the ability to breathe fire. Allow me. Wow. Do you have a cat? The ability to breathe fire no longer available in Bud Light. The endless refreshment, however, remains. Bud Light keeps it coming. I'm really sorry. He knew that when he kissed this girl, his mind would never romp again like the mind of God. So he waited, listening for a moment longer to the tuning fork that had been struck upon a star. Then he kissed her. At his lips' touch, she blossomed for him like a flower, and the incarnation was complete. Obsession, Calvin Klein. Pioneers. Oh, pioneers. Come, my tan-faced children. Follow well in order. Get your weapons ready. Have you your pistols? Have you your sharp-edged axes, pioneers, oh pioneers? For we cannot tarry here. We must march, my darlings. We must bear the brunt of danger. We, the youthful, sinewy races, all the rest on us depend. Pioneers, oh pioneers. Oh, you youths, western youths, so impatient, full of action, full of manly pride and friendship. Plain I see you, western youths. See you tramping with the foremost, pioneers. Oh, pioneers, we debouch upon a newer, mightier world, varied world. Ample, fresh and strong the world we seize. Pioneers, oh, pioneers. We detachments steady throwing, down the edges, through the passes, up the mountain steep. Perennial with the earth, with freedom, law, and love. Well, okay. Um, so, anyway, what, what were they selling? I mean, in mean the first commercial, they're selling endless refreshment. No, they said endless refreshment. Like, you'll never thirst again. The second one, something about the mind of God and the incarnation of love through a kiss as a heart unfolds like a flower before thee, like a fragrant offering they're selling. Third, pioneers marching into a brave new world, a new creation clothed in freedom, law, and love. That's what it seemed like they were selling. But what were they really selling? Yeah, beer, smelly water, and blue jeans. And we all say, well, well, that's crazy. That's just, that's nuts. It doesn't make it, yeah, but it works because you buy it. Well, that's crazy. Yeah, but it, uh, they are paying, but, uh, Budweiser's paying two and a half million dollars for that 30 second spot during the commercial for, for a reason. It works by not working and yet promising to work by keeping you thirsty. And so we quench our thirst with Bud Light and in the morning, we're even more thirsty. Can't get no satisfaction. We anoint ourselves with obsession, but in a few hours, B.O. and we need to take a shower, (laughs) buy more obsession. We clothe ourselves in Levi, Le- Levitical blue jeans. 
<laughs> but the world stays just the same. Now listen, I got nothing, nothing against beer and perfume and pants. <laughs> I'm <laughs> kind of, but anyway, I'm just not, I'm just saying that all you can really say about those things in a commercial is taste good, smells good, looks good. But that's really not enough uh, to boost sales. You have to find a way to tap into some deeper longings. And so corporate America has learned to say, not only does this taste good, smell good, or look good, but with this knowledge of good, with this produce from our tree, you can make yourself into an image. The image of the satisfied or happy man who not only gets dates, but breathes fire. The image of the great lover whose kiss is the very incarnation of love. The image of the pioneer whose very presence is the eternal seed of the new creation. They're selling an image that you purchase with your treasure. And where your treasure is, there is your heart also, said Jesus. There's your worship. Instinctively, we all know that we are what we worship. I mean, we even put those names on our T-shirts, Budweiser, Calvin Klein, Levi. We say stuff like, I'm a Bud man. And please understand, I'm not saying that you should reject beer, perfume, and blue jeans. Actually, you are commanded to thank God for beer, perfume, and blue jeans. However, if you worship beer, perfume, or blue jeans, if you bow down to an altar named Budweiser, Calvin Klein, or Levi, if you give your treasure in order to make yourself in an image, that's called idolatry. Worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. So in Romans 12, Paul writes this, Present your bodies, yourselves, as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is or who is your spiritual, logical, makes sense, your spiritual worship. But do not be conformed, shaped by this world. That is, that is, don't worship the things of this world. That's how the world conforms us in its image. And that's why we're so thirsty, so stinky, and still feel so naked all the time. Paul writes, we exchanged the glory of the immortal God and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Idolatry. We live in a sea of idolatry. It's not just big business, it's the entire world, fallen world. We live in a sea of idolatry. For, for if we don't worship God, we will worship something. For we're made to worship. Made to worship. And if you say, I don't worship nothing, what's worship? Well, watch the Super Bowl this afternoon. That's worship, singing, yelling, cheering, praising, glorifying, consuming. The commercials are worship in the midst of even more worship because we need to worship and we are what we worship. We clothe ourselves with what we worship. Worship the Indianapolis Colts. We are what we worship. Worship the Indianapolis Colts and you'll start to look like this. And not because you have to, okay? Because you want to. That's the power of worship. Worship the New Orleans Saints and you'll start to look like this. Worship the Oakland Raiders and you'll start to look like this. That's really, really, really scary, huh? What would you have to worship in order to look like this? Or this? Or this? But now, if you wanna look like this, 
orange and blue with a Bronco logo on, on your cap. I completely understand. We're only a few blocks away from, from the stadium. Because of my chaplain friend, Bill Rader, I've done the chaplain service for the Broncos on several occasions. The first was the season immediately following their first Super Bowl victory and immediately preceding their second Super Bowl victory. And so it was pretty cool. I got to eat, meet uh, John Elway uh, after the service and then ate breakfast with the with the team and 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 after we finished uh, breakfast and I got to know these guys I remember this this panic set in on me I wanted to run and tell everybody hey hey uh, they're just guys <laughs> 21 22 year old guys I've worshiped them for years but they're guys they're not gods they're not machines they're guys I mean they could fail they could like get tired or get diarrhea and lose they're not they're not gods. Well, watch the game, but don't give them your heart. They cannot tell you who you are. 1986, I was insecure. Struggled with that a lot. Insecure, homesick, living in Los Angeles. And, and, and the Broncos um, that year beat the Raiders two times. You, you remember uh, the Raiders were in L.A. at that time, and, and everywhere I went, youth group, church, I wore blue and orange. I mean, I was just obnoxious. The kids would tackle me at youth group, tear off my clothes, make headbands, and, but I still wore the, the blue and, and the orange. Well, October 20th, the Broncos played the New York Jets on Monday Night Football. They were 6-0 and at the time, but that night, that night, on Monday Night Football, they lost. Lost. A bunch of 20... 21, 22-year-old guys I did not know lost. They lost. And I didn't sleep all night. They lost, and my heart thought, I lost. Why? Because I had invested so much time and energy in worshiping them. We are what we worship. Now, please hear me. I, I love football, and it's great to, great to dress like your team and stand up and, and scream. As long as you remember, it's just some guys, and it's a game. And I hope you understand that I've been picking some silly examples in order to highlight some not-so-silly realities. Beer, perfume, blue jeans, and football are not the most dangerous of idols, and most people realize that. They realize that beer can't quench your deepest thirst. Perfume can't produce the incarnation. Blue jeans will not usher in the new world order. And just dressing like Peyton Manning does not ensure your victory over all things. Most people know that. You see, the most dangerous of idols, however, are not the cheap things, not the worst things, but the very best of things. Not light beer, but great wine. Because the Spirit of God intoxicates like fine wine. Not perfume, but sexual communion, because that's a picture of spiritual communion. Not blue jeans, but ideals and isms with which we try to clothe ourselves in our own righteousness. And the most dangerous idol, I, I think probably, the most dangerous idols are, are persons. Because God is a person. Husbands. Because Jesus is a husband. Ourselves. For we are like the next greatest thing next to God. Even the very image of God. You see, all of those things are very good things that can become very bad things when we worship them, when we place them where only God should be. As Blaise Pascal wrote, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing but only God. Like Mick Jagger saying, I can't get no satisfaction. I mean, I, I wash my shirts using the right detergent. I smoke the right brand. 
I drink the right thing and I'm still thirsty. I'm thirsty. And the more I drink, the thirstier I get. I, I, I'm thirsty. John chapter 4, verse 1. Now, when Jesus had learned that the Pharisees had heard that, that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. It's the sixth hour, and Jesus is thirsty. Jesus is thirsty. He's in a town named Sychar, which literally means drunk. It's by Jacob, who, who became Israel. It's by Jacob's well in Samaria. Samaritans were half-breed Israelites descended from the stock of the northern kingdom and the Assyrian invaders. They were utterly, utterly, utterly despised by the Jews who went to great lengths to avoid them. Scripture says Jesus had to go through Samaria, yet many Jews avoided Samaria by traveling up the eastern bank of the Jordan when they, when they went from Judea to, to Galilee. Perhaps Jesus, however, had to go through Samaria because he was thirsty and he had an appointment by a deep well at the sixth hour. Song of Solomon 4.15. The bride is, quote, a garden fountain, a well of living water. Verse 7, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. They have no dealing with Samaritans. And and a Jewish man would have no dealings with a woman, especially an, ex, uh, an estranged uh, Samaritan woman in public. This woman is estranged. She's alone, which was highly unusual. She's an outcast, even among the outcasts. She's come with a water pot, most likely an earthen vessel. You know, a person is an earthen vessel. We're made of clay, right? And spirit, according to Scripture. We're made of clay and like 60% water, according to biologists. Well, anyway, Jesus is thirsty, and she's thirsty. Next verse. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a fountain, a spring of, of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here, come here to, to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. Go call your husband. Ouch. And get this, Jesus knows that she has no husband. Jesus asked her to do what she cannot do. But she has trouble admitting that she, she cannot do. People say, God will never tell you to do what he knows you cannot do. That's baloney. Ever read the Old Testament? 
He tells you, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus says that. Fulfill the whole law. Do it in the image of God. You can't do that. But you really have trouble admitting that you can't do that. Trouble admitting that you by yourself are just desperately thirsty. That same weekend that I did chapel for the Broncos, I preached the graduation service at the Denver Rescue Mission. In both places, I gave the same message, and it was the gospel. The Bronco guys, they smiled and said, nice message, Pastor. The guys at the mission, they drank the word like fish. I don't know if fish drink, but they sure do. They sure did. They just sucked it down. Both groups, though, needed living water. But the guys at the mission really knew it. They knew they were thirsty. Blessed are the hungry and thirsty for righteousness, said Jesus. Thirsty for what they themselves cannot provide. Thirsty and, and know it. Go call your husband, said Jesus. In other words, let's talk about what you've been drinking, sweetheart. What you've been drinking that's left you so thirsty? The woman answered him, I have no husband, no helper, no an heir, no man. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Truth hurts sometimes. And yet Jesus is not at all interested in condemning her. He just wants her to see the truth. And Jesus is the truth. And she is thirsty for a better man the new man. He just wants her to see the truth. I wonder if she could have seen the truth after just the first husband. I mean, maybe that's why Jesus didn't show up earlier at her well. Do you ever wonder why he doesn't show up earlier? I do. I do, I do a lot. Well, after five husbands and a sixth, she knows that she's thirsty. Blessed are the, the thirsty. Do you ever feel like you're just going to die of thirst? Well, maybe you're blessed. Perhaps the guys at the mission were more blessed than the Broncos their Super Bowl year drinking champagne. Perhaps a Samaritan woman is closer to the promised blessing than any in all of Judah. You know, in 2 Kings chapter 17, we read that the Samaritans worshiped the gods of five other countries. They had wed themselves to five other husbands, and yet they still claimed to worship Yahweh as if he was, was their husband. But they worshiped him like they worshiped those idols. And so it wasn't really worship, not in spirit and in truth, not in the covenant. Well, this woman has had five husbands and is living with the sixth outside the covenant. She's been drinking men like the world's first cougar or something, I don't know. But she's, she's been drinking men and now she's thirsty. It's the sixth hour, she's on her sixth man and yet she's talking to who? The seventh man, the perfect man, the eschatos man, the eschatos Adam, the helper made fit for her, the great bridegroom, the promised blessing. Verse 19, the, the, uh, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where, where people ought to worship. Some people think she's trying to evade the issue, but whatever the case, she's stumbled on uh, to the heart of the issue, worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, 
The hour is coming. In John, the hour almost always refers to the hour or always refers to the hour of his crucifixion. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, literally from Judah. Jesus is the lion of Judah. He's standing in front of her, uh, offering her a, a drink in order to turn her into a fountain. We worship what we know for salvation is from uh, Judah, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Transliterated in the Greek, it literally reads like this. Jesus said to her, I am the one speaking to you. I am. That's, that's the name of God. This is God in flesh, and this is the Messiah. Jesus hadn't even revealed that to his disciples yet. Right? That, that wouldn't happen to what Caesarea Philippi with, with Peter and stuff. And, and when he reveals this truth to the Jews, what does he do? He asks them to keep quiet about it. But to this woman who, who knows her poverty and the depth of, his, of, of her thirst, he, he reveals himself. And then he turns her into the world's first evangelist. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar. She left that old earthen vessel. She left her thirst, like she forgot her thirst, like she came for a drink and now she's drunk. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, come, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Well, did he tell her all that she ever did? Well, I think he told her the reason for all she ever did. That thirst. That thirst for endless refreshment. That obsession to blossom under a man's kiss like a fragrant offering. That hope that she would be clothed in righteousness, a new world. That thirst was the reason for all that she ever did, but no longer the reason for what she was now doing. She was preaching good news, not, not out of emptiness, but fullness. In, in verse 42, because of her testimony in the presence of Jesus, the Samaritans, now remember what I just said, the Samaritans say, this indeed is the savior of the world. Not some of the world, the world. You see, Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus is endless refreshment, the fragrant offering, the pioneer of our faith who conquers everything and everywhere. <laughs> conquers. That's, that's better than Peyton Manning, right? Pretty amazing. Amazing story. But you got to wonder at the end, did Jesus ever get his drink? Did Jesus ever get his drink in the town named Drunk? Well, whatever the case, like a surgeon, Jesus engineers the dialogue from uh, number one, thirst, to number two, promiscuity, to number three, worship. Jesus points out a thirst that we, we all are born with, and then that this woman was trying to satisfy that eternal thirst with men, they'd fill her up for a moment and then leave her more thirsty, like an addict, you know, who quenches his thirst with beer or wine, which only leaves him more thirsty, like a consumer who tries to quench that very same thirst with the things of this world and only grows more thirsty, and yet God even uses that. Misdirected worship, idolatry, sin, he even uses that to reveal our thirst for what he's serving, his drink, which is his life, and he is mercy.
and we are made to worship him. Yet in his absence, we do not worship nothing, said G.K. Chesterton. We worship anything and everything. Beer, perfume, jeans, football, alcohol, men, women, nations, ideals. In his absence, we do not worship nothing. We worship anything and everything. So the answer uh, to that problem, I think, the answer to that problem may not be to outlaw everything, but to worship God in the midst of everything. For then everything becomes holy. A few years ago, I was walking out of a Broncos game, and this preacher was preaching to the crowd, coming down the sidewalk, you know. He, he's screaming, repent. And then I remember he screamed this, I bet they had football in Sodom and Gomorrah, which is a debatable archaeological historical fact. <laughs> but they had football in Sodom and Gomorrah. And I remember this one guy said, oh, yeah? Well, my savior is John Elway. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, his preaching really isn't working. <laughs> but maybe if he preached the gospel, maybe if instead of preaching John Elway is not the Savior, maybe if he preached Jesus Christ is the Savior, maybe folks wouldn't make John Elway the Savior. Then maybe it would be safe to watch football and even dress like Peyton Manning on Super Bowl Sunday. See, maybe it's safe to drink beer if in your heart you know that Jesus is endless refreshment. Maybe it's safe to wear perfume or, or once you've smelled the fragrant offering that, that is Christ. Maybe it's safe to buy blue jeans once you've been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Maybe it's even safe to get married to a guy if deep in your heart you already know that you're wed to Christ. But if we don't worship God, we will worship something. And then we will destroy that something, even as it destroys us. You know, the Samaritan woman was on her sixth man. It's rather likely that she was not an easy woman to live with. And that's because she expected each man to quench her thirst. And so she devoured them, even as they devoured her, expecting each man to be Jesus. She hated men and yet was addicted to men. Expecting my wife to be Jesus, I just devour my wife, and yet I'm addicted to my wife. Expecting alcohol to be Jesus, you'll become its slave. Hating your master, but serving your master, you'll drink until you're drunk by an unworthy master. But if you worship Jesus, that old idol becomes a sacrament. You drink in remembrance of Jesus. You drink to be drunk by a worthy master. When I worship Jesus, my wife is, is no longer an idol. She's a temple. And I serve Jesus at that temple. When I worship Jesus, beer reminds me of God's grace. Thanks for the beer, Jesus. Perfume reminds me of the fragrant offering that is Christ. Blue jeans, that I'm clothed in his righteousness. Even football reminds me that I'm, that I'm more than a conqueror through him. When I worship, if I'm worshiping, when I worship Jesus. When I worship Jesus, I exchange the worship, or when I worship in his name, when I worship in the name of Jesus, I exchange the worship of the creature for the creator. And all my idols become temples and sacraments. For all creation is in its proper place. When I worship in Jesus' name, my thirst is quenched. When I worship, and yet I'm thirsty a whole lot. So you gotta ask, how do I worship? Actually, we have one more commercial, one more 30 second spot.
McPassion meal. I know, I know. <laughs> Every McPassion meal comes with a crown of thorns. Non-toxic. And special round fries, shaped just like the Eucharist. Dipping the body of Christ in ketchup is fun. Just like real blood. And a delicious vinegar sponge drink. Buy one today. Make Jesus happy. Some assembly required. Not available in Wisconsin. May cause oily discharge. Well, it was kind of painful, wasn't it? It's painful because it reminds us of so much religion in our commercial society. And, and, and was that was that worship? I don't know. But I do know that when I worship idols, beer, perfume, genes, sex, power, people, when I worship idols, I'm not really worshiping them. I'm worshiping me. I'm the idol. I'm consuming the good to make myself good. I'm consuming the image of God because only God is good. I'm consuming the image of God to make myself in the image of God and Jesus is the perfect image of God. 2,000 years ago, religious folks worshiping themselves and trying to make themselves in God's image took the life of God's image by nailing him to a tree. Is that worship? I mean, if I drink in order to satisfy my own thirst, is that really worship? If you worship in order to fix your marriage, control your addictions, or make yourself in God's image, Maybe you're not worshiping Jesus. Maybe you're using Jesus to worship you. If you really worship Jesus, you'll forget you. You'll forget the water pot. You'll lose the old earthen vessel called you. Remember, the problem is you. And so alcohol makes you forget you for a time. And then there's more of you with a vengeance. Sex makes you forget you for, for, for a moment, but, but what's great enough to make you forget you for good? How can you lose you in order to find you in something way better than you? See, the problem with idols is that they aren't worthy of our worship, and so they can never quench our thirst. Neither beer, perfume, blue jeans, nor any mortal man was worthy of the worship of that lonely Samaritan woman at the well. They weren't good enough for her. For she was made to worship God. And only he could quench that thirst. But how do you then, how do you worship God? Is it the same way that we worship idols in order to satisfy our thirst. You know, the story, when you think about it, really isn't about our thirst or, or her thirst pri primarily. I think it's about Jesus' thirst. Remember? He was thirsty first. He came looking for a drink, just as his father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and truth. The point is that Jesus is thirsty. He said that he'd give her water, this like living water that would bubble up and turn into like a fountain that was her. Who drinks that water from the fountain that is her? Did Jesus ever get his drink? You know, toward the end of John's gospel, on the sixth day, at the sixth hour, Jesus is crucified, and just before he dies, he lifts his head and he cries out, I thirst! God thirsts! I am thirst! I'm thirsty! And then do you remember what they did? They took a sponge, put it on a stick, held it up to his 
mouth. It was soaked in sour wine. Sour wine. You see, Israel was his vineyard. And her wine was sour. Her worship was sour because she, she used him to worship herself. She, who is we, took his life worshiping uh, ourselves. We took his life worshiping ourselves. We took his life, and yet he gave his life. He ambushed us with love. He cried out, it is finished, bowed his head, and gave up his spirit. The truth gave up his spirit like a fountain. And you see, it's there we begin to worship in spirit and in truth like a fountain. For it's there we meet the one worthy of all worship. It's there we see God sitting by our empty well. It's there we see God broken and bleeding for us, bleeding like a fountain. And so it's there that we give him a drink called worship, praise for his mercy like a fountain. And so it's there we lose ourselves, that old dry earthen vessel, lose ourselves for we are flooded with him. It's there that a fountain is open, the river of life, endless refreshment. It's there that we blossom under the creator's kiss, the incarnation of love like a fragrant offering. It's there that we're clothed with righteousness, his righteousness, righteousness, the, the pioneer of our salvation, Jesus, firstborn of the new creation. It's there that we are made in God's image. And we cannot purchase that image. We cannot buy that image. We cannot pay for that image for it's the image of grace. Our God is grace. He's love. So it's there at the cross that the Lord drinks his love through a fountain that is you and is satisfied. It's finished. And so he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. Do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. I was hungry, said Jesus. <laughs> and so when you come to the table, eat in such a way that you are eaten. You know, like a living sacrifice. I was thirsty, said Jesus. So when you come to the table, drink in such a way that you are drunk. By love, it's finished. An eternal reality, but it's only just begun in us in time. So we need to come to the table and drink. Song of Solomon 5.1, drink and be drunk with love. Drink to be drunk by love, by God. You can only quench your thirst by seeking to quench the Lord's thirst. Did you hear that? Drink him to be drunk by him. That's communion. Drink him to satisfy his thirst. That's worship. And we are most satisfied when he is most glorified in us. For we are made to worship him. Tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. And as you come to the table, I say this all the time, worship. And what I mean is sing him a song. Satisfy his thirst. Worship. Let's worship. Hey, do you know this song? It goes like this. You can finish it for me if, if I can't remember it. Plop, plop. Fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Plop. Do you know this song? 
I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. <laughs> the world, a, a Coke, yeah, and then you buy it, then you buy Coke, right? Or how about this song? If you, if you know this one. My baloney has a first name, it's O-S-C-A-R. My baloney has a second name, it's M-E-Y-E-R. Oh, I love to eat it every day. And if you ask me why, I'll say, cause Oscar Mayer has a way with B-O-L-O-G-N-A. <laughs> See, maybe that's what's wrong with us. <laughs> we know those songs. We spend our time singing about bologna, flavored water, and Alka-Seltzer. We even say that's where relief comes from. And all of heaven all the new creation is saying, worthy is the lamb on the throne. Not baloney. <laughs> Got nothing against baloney, but we shouldn't sing about it. <laughs> and do you understand why it's so important that we worship? Why we come to this place and worship together? Why you go for a walk sometimes and look at creation and just sing to your Father in heaven who made it? Why you say your prayers and in your prayers you don't only pray, God, I'm not satisfied, I can't get no satisfaction, but you say, God, you know, you, you're my satisfaction. That's why we worship. We are what we worship. We are what we worship. And, and Paul says this, you were destined and appointed to live for the praise of his glory. And his glory is grace. All creation longs to look into what God is showing you. So believe the gospel and worship. In Jesus' name, amen.